Welcome to the Mental Health in Schools podcast, designed and delivered by Anna Bateman. Hello and welcome to episode four of series two of Halcyon Education podcasts. These are podcasts specifically for senior mental health leads in schools. In this episode, I hand over the reins to Mark Goodwin, who's a learning and behaviour specialist from Equal Parts Education. Mark interviews Nina Jackson, who's an author and speaker who provides fantastic, easy-to-action tools and ideas which can have a profound effect on mental health and provides a way of communicating for young people when not everything is okay. First, a quick word from our sponsors. At Jigsaw PSHE, we believe that personal development and strategies to build mental well-being need to be taught and not left to chance. Jigsaw, the mindful approach to PSHE, leads the way in providing children and young people with its acclaimed, well-structured and developmental lesson-a-week learning experience in PSHE from ages 3 to 16. Detailed lesson plans and all the teaching resources needed, along with free updates and ongoing support, make Jigsaw an invaluable, relevant and fresh resource, taking the worry out of PSHE planning. Written by teachers for teachers. A mindfulness philosophy and practice underpins the whole programme. Statutory government requirements for relationships, health and sex education are amply covered. For more information, go to www.jigsawpshe.com or call at Jigsaw HQ. Now to the podcast. Uh, Welcome, Nina. Hi, Mark. Thank you very much for inviting me to be with you this afternoon. Well, it's a, it's a double thanks, Nina, because, um, I mean, first of all, thank you to, uh, to Anna of Halcyon Education, whose podcast I am currently squatting. The whole Halcyon work is around uh, mental health and mental health strategies for school. Uh, with an offer like that, there was only one person that I could ask, and Nina, and that was you. Well, uh, thank you, Mark. It's very, very kind of you. And I was just going to um, hook into your bit about squatting there. I don't mind a bit of squatting, but in the right yeah. place, normally in a, a sort of a quiet forest, you know, and we'll say no more. Uh, independent thinking, uh, a speaker, trainer, coach, author, and ninja. I'm afraid so. I am a ninja that loves to move in mysterious ways. And I like to move in mysterious ways with people. I like to connect with people. And I think I've just got a little bit of a knack of knowing when somebody just needs that extra little bit of help, you know, that support. So, yeah, I am a ninja. Full on. And I can testify to the um, uh, to moving in mysterious ways because I can definitely recommend uh, a Nina cuddle, uh, a Nina hug. Anina, a coach, a coach. Yeah. yes, because we do we we don't do hugs and cuddles in Wales. You see, we do proper cutching, and when you cut somebody, you keep them safe and you keep them feeling really, really good and close to your heart. And it's it it's just a magical thing. Safety, close to the heart, connection. Uh, you've already picked up on three things there that will be, uh, I'm sure, at the heart of the uh, what we discuss when we talk about well-being. Um, in the in the session, uh, I wanted to start off really, Nina, with these twelve weeks because yeah. if ever there was a, a time when people's well-being has been stretched and tested, it, it must have been these last twelve weeks. So, when you say how are you doing under these circumstances, it's actually probably a little bit more of a complex answer 
than you would do normally. So how has uh, lockdown been for you, Nina? Well, lockdown for me has been pretty okay, actually. Because of the the amount of global work that I do, travelling everywhere, you know, jet-setting here, on a bus, on a, on a train, in a car or whatever. And, and I guess the first few weeks were just the relief, I guess, of having just a little bit of travel peace, first of all. And because I live in a, in a very tranquil, beautiful area in Wales, I was really able to enjoy much of my surroundings and much of the environment with the birds and things like that. What was a problem was the continued, shall we say, it almost felt like the world was unreal because the amount of deaths that we were witnessing, that we were hearing about, um, people who were just fit and well suddenly becoming extremely unwell physically with the COVID. And then after a few weeks, Mark, something really strange started happening. There were people getting in touch, mums, dads, children and young people, and just saying, this is, this is unreal. I, I, I don't think I'm ever going to step outside the front door again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've had to support some parents where their children have been so anxious that they're not physically able to get outside the front door because right. they're scared that the air outside is so full of the virus, it's literally going to kill them. And these yeah. are the words that I've been hearing from so many people about children being anxious and not fully understanding what COVID really means. You know, picking things up from the news, picking yeah. things up from yeah. seeing things on television and not fully having an understanding of, of what's going on. So for me personally, it's not been too bad I'm going to confess, I've quite liked some of it. What's not been so nice, Mark, is obviously all the face-to-face work that I've, I've, I've had the privilege of having for months on end has all gone. So um, the, there's been no salary and being a limited company owner and being a person on my own, the government hasn't supported me and my business at all. So um, if any of you want to check any Mars bars, apples or oranges my way, that, that would be gratefully received. But I'm healthy, I'm fit, I'm alive, and part of my job is to make sure other people are okay as well. And, you know, but what about you, Mark? How have you well, been? I was, I was going to say, Neil, I mean, I, I recognise um, in, in what you've just said that um, I found myself saying two things regularly, which is one, what you just said, uh, I have my health uh, and I'm still smiling. Mm. And mm. when it comes down to um, the, 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 the brass tacks of this whole thing, if you've got that, then you're OK and you can, you can work from that. But also I find it, um, we, we're teachers and uh, you know, educators, uh, we work with young people mm. um, and it's a, it is a tricky conversation to say, well, out of this terrible situation, we have an opportunity or we have yes, to move forward because the terrible situation for some kids, as you've described, will be utterly traumatic and catastrophic because they've lost their parent or they've mm. lost their granddad or their uh, grandma and um, th- those I think I think it's where um, I've done most work over the last few weeks is trying to make that a conversation that um, works in a well-being way uh, for kids that you want them to be able to move forward 
to take positive steps into a, a happier future, into a better place. But that's quite tricky. So the, 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 the young people that have come your way or the parents that uh, you've spoken to, Nina, what, what are you starting to say to those young people who are anxious and fearful about September or about next week? Well, first of all, what I'm starting to, to do before even thinking about going back into school, I'm literally asking them, how are they feeling? Do they know why they're feeling like this? And what are all the little ingredients that have created this internal turmoil for them? So first of all, I'm trying to create an emotional security blanket for them through conversation and allowing them to just feel free in either saying or not saying what they want to do um, in the first instance, but putting my listening ears on, shall we say, you know, yep. first and foremost, making sure that I'm not interrupting them at any given time and giving them the freedom to be able to, you know, feel safe in saying what they want to say and where they may not necessarily find the words to be able to explain where these feelings have come from or they are new feelings and they've never had them before then I try and play around with you know does it feel like this or you know is it making you physically unwell is it making you sad is it making you jittery you know are you are you shaking so just sort of popping a few things their way first of all before then going to talk to them about transition you know and change sometimes we are fearful of change or we're fearful of embracing new things because we're just not used to them or that we've been faced with this ridiculous situation that none of us ever knew was going to come towards us and because nobody's experienced it before nobody really has any answers so it's giving them permission first of all to find their way emotionally and then to say okay I've got a chance here as a young person to a start to help myself know that I've got people around me my family uh, social support to be able to adjust and this adjustment is part of the new new change. So where we, before lockdown, there was one situ situation. Then we were in lock, lock in, shall we say, and lots of children being locked in their emotions. But now it's a finding a way of, you know, lock out. Okay, so it's literally coming out of lockdown. And what I've been doing is really getting them to think about First of all, taking some gratitude of um, things that they have achieved every single day, even if it is literally getting out of bed and making the bed so that, you know, when, when you go to bed at night, the bed is ready and it's made. Looking at whether or not they've got a set routine. What is it that's bothering them most of all? Is it that they can't have physical space? So in this coaching mechanism as well with the, the young people, I've allowed them to sort of begin to plan some of their own goals, but to reassure them that whilst they're planning these goals, that they may not necessarily achieve them straight away and that they've got to be flexible in their own change mechanism as well. So looking at it from an internal well-being aspect and then linking with transition, actual physical transition from home 
to whatever this new school situation is going to be school yeah. building because they've been doing home learning but now they're going to be going back into school in drips and drabs and and meeting their friends and just being okay with this new adjustment you know so i i like to say be a bit more slinky you know, you know you know one of those slinky things that come down the stairs you know be a bit slinky because you know sometimes the slinky stops on the stairs and it's, it just needs a little bit of a push to keep going and yeah. when you have a slinky in your hands that if you actually literally move from left to right within it the, the, the movement is really good so actually that gentle rocking okay I like to call it a bit of well-being <laughs> rocking so when you yeah. move in between different things you know, and it feels good. Just, just keep it going. It's like the, it's like if you get the the salsa dance right, isn't it? You know, and you move your hips um, yeah. in the right way. It's, it's what I call slinky salsa. It's this, it's yeah. the same sort of thing. But when you put that analogy to kids, um, and they understand, oh yeah, I I get that now. It is okay for me to move from sort of one thing to another and feel okay or not feel okay. And sometimes the slinky will stop. Yeah. And I think uh, I recognise that the, the slinky analogy is uh, a wonderful way of um, demonstrating that flexibility. Um, and um, uh, unfortunately, uh, schools can be less flexible places. And what you've just described there, I know will be happening in, uh, in many, many schools that the time to listen, uh, the time yeah. to really listen to the kids. Uh, giving them that time to articulate their experience. And I love that bit in there, Nina, about gratitude, because uh, I do think that that is a powerful, it's a powerful uh, pillar of my well-being practice, because you have to find the best even in uh, catastrophic situations, you know, uh, yeah. and you learn that, but it's harder for kids to see that, but they need to be grateful for their health and their smile and yeah. their making of the bed. Um, I, I'd go even further and say that may, you know, some of these experiences need to be honoured in schools and you know, yes. schools could actually you know, celebrate um, what's been done in the community because we, we're in danger of quickly forgetting you know, six weeks ago when everybody was applauding, when people were taking food parcels around, when yeah. kids I know were a party to community uh, act activities that were really doing that. And, Kids need an opportunity, schools can take that opportunity to really recognise uh, what kids have done uh, in that respect. And um, it's, it's good advice uh, to, to schools as, as well as kids themselves. I mean, how, how do you help kids to overcome their fears, uh, in, in particular the, um, the fear of, um, of, of being uh, in a, what's become a strange environment, the fear of being with other kids, uh, the fear of being, uh, of, of perhaps missing work, the fear of being behind. Have you got, um, how would you support kids so through that? So first of all, if we're talking about the word fear, um, I say to children that fear is a good thing. Okay. Fear is a good thing, first of all, for you to experience, because number one, realising that there's a problem, okay? When do you realise there's a problem? Um, then ultimately what we need to do as human beings is we're looking then for solutions, okay? Now, if you're fearful of something very much like anxiety, you know, um, to the point where it, it becomes 
it, it overt- overtakes you, shall we say, emotionally yeah. and physically. First of all, I say to them that what you're going to do is you're going to do something called wreck it. Okay. And they go, well, what do you mean that is? Okay. Number one, recognize, okay, that actually it's you and your amazing brain that's actually creating this fear right now. Okay. It's saying, right, what, what do I need to do here now? Do I need to fight it? Do I need to, am I going to freeze or am I going to take the sort of the flight mode? So I say, right, recognize it. Then I want you to embrace it by going, right, okay, it's me that's feeling this. It's me that's experiencing it. And then what you're going to do is you're going to look at the C, which is control. So recognize, embrace, control it. And then we start to look at different control mechanisms, okay? So every human being, every child would be very, very different. So we start to talk about different things. Okay, what makes you feel calm? You know, oh yeah, I, when I'm reading or when I'm playing a game or, you know, maybe when I'm just standing and, and listening to the birds or maybe I'm just sit, sitting on the couch. I said, okay, well, just take one of those things that A, you know that makes you feel calm, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to put that in your racket toolkit. So whatever it is, that one thing that you know that's going to make you feel calmer, it's going to lower your heart rate, possibly lower your blood pressure as well, put that in your toolkit, okay? What else do you recognise? What is it could be a trigger to make you feel fearful, all right, so if I'm watching the news and I'm hearing that there's more people being uh, have died and they're in my area, okay, so maybe for a few days then, okay, because you're in your world, stay away from actually tuning in and listening to the news, okay? I want you to start thinking about your physical world and the little world that's outside, you think of them in rings, so that each step that you take to manoeuvre yourself from home to go back to school, for whichever ring that you move through, you're starting to build in this bigger circle of achievement. Okay, so start to think of it like a dartboard or something similar. And they go, all right, okay, get that. So we start to build this toolkit, this rep toolkit recognize embrace and control it mechanism and then they start to go oh right okay so if I think about what's affecting me and things I already know that can help me I can build my own bag of well-being things I said yeah absolutely so then we we start to talk about what I call mind medicine tools okay (laughs) so they say yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So if I'm sitting there and I get really, really anxious and my dog comes to sit on my lap and then I stroke my dog and makes me feel really calm and he gives me a cuddle. So I said, well, actually, how does that make you feel? Oh, it's great because the dog gives me cuddle, makes me feel safe, makes me feel warm. Right. So one of your mind medicine things for your prescription will be if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling fearful and, and you're in your home, and you're around your dog, go to your dog, spend time with your dog. That's one of the things you can put on your mind medicine prescription. So we move then from the wreck it approach to creating a mind medicine prescription. Now, kids can cope with medicine, understanding, 
mind medicine, you see, because medicine's supposed to make you, be, make you feel a bit better, isn't it? If you get it from the GP or from the pharmacy. But if it's something for your mind, okay, then you need to try it out. And then if that doesn't work, then what would you do if that would happen if you needed to see a doctor again? You'd try something else or you'd ask somebody else's opinion or you'd look at an alternative. So then what kids start to do then is they start to build up their own personal mind medicine prescription. And before you know it, they've got these self-care tools that they've, they've had before, but they've never really recognised them. They end up then actually giving some advice to their parents. <laughs> okay, and they say, Mum, do you think you need to do a bit of racket there? Uh, yeah, what have yeah. you got on your prescription, Mum? So mm. I've seen families who've now literally embraced racket. Okay, and sometimes they just say to each other, Mum, racket, you need to get your racket on. Okay. And they started building their own mind medicine prescriptions and putting them on the fridge mm. so that they all sort of know what's best for each other. So in many ways, it's a, it's a little bit like that emotional coaching. You know, you know as a human being, first and foremost, some of the tools that you've got. But when you don't have some of the tools, then that's the time then to reach out to other people, whether it be a friend, whether it be a colleague, um, a teacher, a friend on social media, and just say, look, I, it's just not working for me. The slinky's not working. I don't know what to do about the racket. And I have nothing else to put on my mind medicine prescription. And immediately, what would somebody do? They'll say to you, what do you mean your racket? What, what's racket? Mm. So the ownership goes back on to the individual to explain the racket. Self-esteem and self-confidence goes up because actually they're sharing some of their own self-compassion and self-care yeah. skills. And suddenly there's a new language of well-being happening between young people so it's like you know i'm going to pass it on to you and you can pass it on to somebody else actually it's become the new maybe the virus is is the wrong, <laughs> is the wrong word and i and i don't want to belittle that in any sense but actually maybe what we should do is actually embrace this whole idea that you can pass on good things to other people from a social distance and not actually touching them at all. Um, good things, you know, the, the, the well-being one does. Does that help? Or that I, mean, I mean, that, that's, uh, that's a wonderful conversation, but a wonderful way of framing that conversation, a very empowering way of framing that conversation. And I recognise in that uh, one of my um, magic teaching moments was uh, I used to run uh, coaching and mentoring schemes in schools. And um, uh, the one year I did it, there were some really tricky lads on, on that. And they were lads that I taught as well. And I took them on the, the, the trip to Gladstone Potteries up in Stoke. And they, they misbehaved outrageously um, and really wound up one of the presenters. And I, I really got, got, got annoyed with them. And, I, you know, I, I, I never shout, Nina, but, you know. No, I know. I, we, had some, we, had, so, Mark. we had some strong words. And one of the lads went, sir, do you want to have a coaching conversation, sir? So it's like, Epic. it was class. It was Epic. class. It was class because it completely, you know, it was, 
it was very, he was a difficult lad, but it was very knowing of him. He, he knew that it diffused the situation. It knew that he shifted the conversation. I couldn't, you know, I wasn't angry after that. That was funny, blah, 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 blah. So kids, once you've given them these tools, can be brilliant at uh, implementing and using it. And I, I do have great hope uh, with kids, uh, certainly in their connection to each other uh, and the oh, way yes. they do look after each other. Uh, but I mean that that what you just described, uh, Nina, was a brilliant conversation, and I know that there's tens of thousands of teachers that would have that conversation. Um, looking uh, going up uh, to, to maybe ten thousand feet, and a school that is looking after the the kids. I mean, obviously, the school uh, that is looking after their staff and kids that are coming back in will be making time for those conversations. What, what else could, a, could, from a school level, from that senior leadership level, what could they do to support this transition and this change? I want to throw that back at you a bit, actually, Mark, and I'm going to say, actually, will they? Will okay. they? Okay, well, because I, I, this, is, this is my concern. This is my concern, all right? Okay. I'm, I'm seeing some truly, and I can only describe them as, and this is the, the best form of compliment I can give any school, there are slinky schools, okay? <laughs> there are slinky schools and they are amazing. And they have leaders and staff and children and parents in the community which value well-being being at the heart of everything, okay? Because if your head and heart isn't working, then nothing ain't going to happen. And then I see the schools who maybe, more than anything, actually are more fearful of the issues behind the academic learning and the need some children do actually need um, cognitive stability and they actually need to be shall we say reignited again right i'm not putting down academic learning at all right but what i am seriously concerned about is the reports and things i've read and people who have literally called me and just said look i'm just not sending my child back to school because this happened and literally into school straight away locked in in their own space right okay on a chair with a desk and literally being lectured at or lectured to with regards to English, maths, science, and nothing about, nice to see you, how are you? Like as if nothing has happened at all. That is like literally, you know, it's such an insult to what's happened over the last few months. No mention of, you know, I, I, it's really wonderful to see all of you, even if it's just an introductory sentence. Yeah. Really absolutely wonderful to see all of you. Many of you may have experienced some, you know, traumatic things. And if you want to have an opportunity of discussing that, we in the school are around you. But are we collectively happy to maybe move on with some studying? So yeah. you actually ask the questions. Now, where some children will really, really thrive in that environment where they're going in, they're literally being taught and they're studying straight away. For some, that is the right environment. But to not acknowledge the fact that there has been and there still is a major pandemic globally and in this, this country is quite abhorrent, actually. I would advocate with 
a slinky balance. Those schools who are worried about catch-up, who are worried about uh, knowledge, you know, this, 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 is, this is all across the UK. It's not just children in your school and young people in your school. It's right across the UK. And some of them will have done some self-study. Some of them will have learned things that they've never learned in school. Some of them will be empowered to be resilient and independent learners and others will just be thankful that they're back in a new environment. I want schools to be slinky so that they actually marry humanity and well-being with a love of learning. Don't put kids off and no. don't put colleagues off and don't start feeling that actually these months of online schooling, the teachers have been so dedicated in doing as well and calling children up and checking in on each other yeah. that we forget, that we, we, we can't forget, we're still living it. Yeah, yeah I think, Nina, I mean, that, that's my worry is that uh, already, well, actually quite quickly, the deficit language started um, around catch-up, around missing out, around grades and... There's um, uh, a real fear, isn't there, that uh, the, um, there's a fear around that language. Um, mm. we, we've been subject now for, for many years to a high level, an anxiety-causing level of uh, accountability and um, uh, exam performance. And while all of that has its place, I recognise a slinky school that acknowledges that, that that will be taking place and exams will be taken. But if the first conversation is how much they've missed, we're at risk of losing uh, the kids before we've even started. And um, Absolutely. Uh, it's a fear I have and meet them where they are, you know, whether they've learnt Mandarin, guitar or done nothing. Uh, I think I, I, I'm absolutely sure it's within the, the capacity of schools and teachers to meet the kids there and mm. pick up from that point mm. and quickly get them mm. moving in a learning direction. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I ask them, what have they been doing differently at home to what they've been doing in school previously? And, you know, one of my questions is this, how many children have actually started there who become entrepreneurs during this time and have started their own online business I cannot tell you the amount of things that I've seen from children and young people who've taken this opportunity to either solve a problem and think what that problem is and create something and actually share it online. And yeah. then you've got global companies who are going, wow, that is absolutely amazing. Or have become so creative about thinking, oh, there's not a lot of money coming into this house. So do you know what? I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make some boxes. I'm going to make some, um, you know, I'm going to do some baking. I'm going to play some music. I'm going to charge for um, some lessons online. I mean, this, this morning um, on the Independent Thinking website, there was um, one of our associates, Mark Creasy, his daughter, Jessica, who is coming up for her 16th birthday and is in year 11. She's written a blog of, do you want to know what it's like from my perspective? Brilliant. And yeah, and one of the one of the things which um, Jessica speaks about is actually the biggest loss is the loss of the chance to actually sit the exams. Yeah, yeah. And to sit the exams to prove to herself, you know, that she is capable, that she is able, and 
actually to measure the hard work that she's done. And the, there were other things as well, but I just thought we need to actually stop. Um, and I'm very aware of actually the, the amount that I'm talking <laughs> non-stop to you, Mark. But actually, you know, I, 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 I am able to pause and I think we need to pause the world to actually listen to our children's voices and, and find out their ideas, their ways forward, and actually not just leave it to yeah. the, well, I don't even know if I would want to call myself a grown-up. I mean, I'm 55, <laughs> but I'm, I'm 55 going on six, you know. Yeah, yeah, I get excited yeah. about balloons and bubbles and, you know. Um, yeah. We really need, this is our chance to really listen to the future generation who are our yeah. children and young people right now, L- like your lads. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, you know, the um, f- from the mouth of babes, isn't it? You know, it's that, that you know, how many times do does a kid nail it? Uh, but how infrequently uh, in, in some schools, in how infrequently they get that voice and a you know, genuine voice to articulate uh, what excites them, what interests them, how they see the world. But certainly in the last few weeks, there's some kids that have stepped up and into that space and have, have spoken and demonstrated quite quite impressively uh, how oh, the world yes. might be uh, might be different um, and um, it is it's always time to to, to listen to young people um, and if schools find uh, the space and the time to do that as well um, then then all power to them because that that will be schools that will gain it right and now a short break to hear from our sponsors CPOMS is an online system for schools to manage pastoral concerns and events and is now used by over 10,000 schools. The main reason it works so well is that the categories of information a school logs on CPOMS are chosen by the school so that the concerns you face that are unique to your community or individuals can be logged accordingly. It saves a huge amount of time compared to doing things on paper Chronologies for pupils, or school-wide reports, can be generated quickly. The Service Point support team provide an incredible standard of service and one of the main reasons that CPOMs are spread by word of mouth to so many schools. For more information, go to www.cpoms.co.uk where you can also book a demo for your school. Now back to the podcast. So over lockdown, uh, was there anything that you read or saw or watched that changed your well-being thinking or, or added to your well-being thinking? Is there anything that you could uh, recommend and reflect on? Right. OK. Well, first of all, I have to say that I've been looking for a lot of laughs because laughter is brilliant. Um, and if I'm laughing out loud, then obviously I'm feeding my brain with some amazing well-being so whereas previously I had never really been much of a lover of Facebook right (laughs) and I've I've come across some absolutely cracking things on Facebook but the special moments have been reading people's stories and blogs online and I guess um and people speaking from the heart. There's some wonderful, wonderful things out there at the moment, from blogs to to vlogs to books that I've had on my shelf that I've not managed to to get around to reading. So many because I'm a bit of a dipper, you see, Mark. I can't oh, okay. read. I can't read one book from, <laughs> from start to finish. I have to have about yeah, twelve different things on the go. 
and films as well. You know, f- films have been fantastic. From the reading point of view, I can't read fiction. I only read books that give me knowledge or education books. There are titles of some books, and I can't even say it on here now because it would be totally inappropriate. But um, <laughs> um, and maybe I'll, I'll put, put a link up or something, but it's got the F word in it about how to not give ape, you know. Um, that's been brilliant. There's some philosophical things in there. Yeah, yeah so I get, it, it's been a real pick and mix. Yeah. You know. yeah. What, what about you? Yeah, um, I, I, I recognise a few things in there, Nina. Uh, piles of books um, that drive my wife mm-hmm. mad. Um, uh, buying books when you uh, haven't finished yeah. books. Um, the, the the last thing that I read that really uh, struck me as uh, uh, in, in a well-being way was um, there was a report in the paper how at uh, Harvard or Yale. Uh, I can't remember what which one it is. Somebody from the um, psychology department started a happiness course. I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. Because, yes, that happiness course is called the Science of Wellbeing. There you and go. for the last for the last three and a half months, that's what I've been studying. Yes, <laughs> at at Yale, um, and I got my certificate through last week. Fantastic. Um, that's yeah. the very one and um it's it's brilliant i mean there's mm-hmm. abs- yeah there's, there's yeah. some fantastic things and this is where i came across something called um a rewirement challenge okay. um, and it's actually you taking time for yourself for you to rewire yourself but you for you to challenge yourself in an area of well-being that yeah. you may not have done before um so i i had to undertake that as well but um yeah some some really really interesting things and of course apart from that mark i have actually been writing you see so i am currently writing my next book which is schools being well schools being well schools being well yes so is the what was the course just out of interest uh is it free uh to to undertake or do you have to pay to um First of all, the, the, there's two options. There's the free option. Yeah. That, um, there's a way of doing it, a sneaky way, um, and you have to just keep refreshing your browser, shall we say. Okay. Without saying <laughs> that you need to pay. Okay. Um, but um, I think in the first few weeks it was free, but then I, um, then I paid for what I did because it was very important for me to get the certificate. Yeah, of course, of okay. course. You so need that I've, stamp of approval, Nina. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think it cost me about, um, yeah, about $30. Oh, that's nothing. Sort of, what was it, 11, 12 weeks of real hard slog. The pedagogical and research impact of this is was, was mind-blowing. This is serious science, you yeah, know, serious yeah, yeah. neurological developments, etc. Yeah, give it a go on. There's nothing that strengthens the well-being message when you can say, look, they're doing this at Harvard. You know, it's like, this is serious stuff. It's not um, yoga. It's not yoga. It's not mindful. It's not, you no. know, whatever you want to paint well-being as. The critics paint it as. It's actually, you know, rigorous uh, and, and impactful and all of those things that anything uh, has to be. But um, it goes back to when, when I first, one of my, when Wellington School embraced well-being, my argument was that if the kids who are paying 30 grand a year can have well-being lessons, then the uh, the good bog-standard comp kids of, of the Midlands 
can have a bit yeah. of well-being as well. And yeah, and it's good when, uh, I mean, it, it's sad that we need that validation sometimes because well-being should be there on, it, on its own merit. But it, it does just help that it, it's got such a headline act at such a prestigious uh, university. We need to give it time. So for something, something to naturally interweave itself into your life or into a school, you have to, first of all, give it time. Okay, yeah. you know, make make it a priority, and then slowly, what happens? It becomes a a more natural way of interweaving it into everyday life, into studying, into schools, etc. And interestingly enough, um, you talking about Wellington did some work, well being work at the education festival for them a couple of years ago, and and then during their um arts festival was due to go out there actually in april when the whole thing was kicking off we're we're forgetting that there are children who have such high expectations of themselves with their learning part of the culture that they become so overwhelmed that they actually don't know how to tell somebody that they're not coping or enough is enough because when that's part of your culture you know, I, I remember saying when I was in Hong Kong, saying to some of the parents, you love your children so much, you're killing them. And they were like, oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? There was an extremely, extremely high suicide rate in Hong Kong. And that's because the children had no way, because they loved their parents so much as well, no way of communicating to their parents that actually, you know, they weren't coping. And and the only way out was literally because there'd become a, a massive spike in young people that were publicly in shopping malls taking their own life by jumping 17 oh, stories. Yeah. Hong Kong had developed their own suicide squad because it, oh. was, it was needed. You know, and we have to understand that different cultures and communities have their needs, and rightly so, but we we need to allow everybody to understand a way of communicating when things are just not okay whatever that way will be and giving time for children and young people and adults to find their way has to be our priority yeah definitely uh nina and um i mean talking about culture i think that's a it's a nice way to finish because i can't let you go without something that really struck me in in the two talks I've heard you give, Nina, when you talk about your grandfather? Yes. Tad Key. Tad Key. My Tad Key, yes. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I know there's so much you could say about um, a minor poet, boxer, can't you? I mean, there's so much you could say, but just, I mean, let's finish with, uh, the, the, you know, one lesson that people could take away from a, a life certainly very well lived. To people who haven't heard you speak about your grandfather and the, the culture he came from, could you just share one thing that people could take from, a, from his uh, extraordinary life? Just being humble with what you have. Respect for the land, respect for the earth, respect for people, regardless if they have money or no money, doesn't matter what culture or religion or anything, respect for another human and time to breathe every day up to 96 he would still stand outside literally take the biggest breath in and place sort of 
bow forward and place his hands flat on the floor to touch <laughs> the earth. Yeah. Those were sort of his his stand up version of of, of press ups, shall we say? Because my my grandfather was a just just about five foot two as well. But know your roots, remember your roots, kindness, empathy, respect your name neighbour, and actually know that money gets you nowhere, except for a great big massive car. Or house, and that doesn't necessarily make you happy. There, there ain't no happiness in on the back seat of that car. <laughs> no, there is not. There definitely isn't. Definitely isn't. That, that's fantastic, Nina. Thank you ever so much. Uh, you Thank mentioned you. that you were writing uh, a new book, but I would just remind people that uh, finding that fizz. Yes, sherbet lemon. Yeah, still out there, and you can be found at uh, Independent Thinking. I can um, indeed, Lurkin. Yeah, thanks ever so much for those words of wisdom, Nina. Thank you so much, Mark, for inviting me. Thank you, Anna, as well, for bringing us together. And um, a real, real privilege to be with you this afternoon. And that's all I want you to be, just be safe and find happiness. And when you're having a grrr moment, just go (laughs) wreck it. Thanks ever so much, Nina. All right, my lovely. Get your slinky on. I, I am, yeah. Okay, bye. I want to thank Mark very much for being guest host today. What Nina has provided is a solution-focused language and approach which empowers and connects children with resources they already have, but as Nina says, don't realise it. I hope by listening today it's given you some ideas on how you can have and create a slinky school. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For more information and support on this topic, go to the resources section on the website. That's www.halcyon.education forward slash podcasts.